Good Thursday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us. We very much enjoy connecting with you guys through this network. All we want to be is the water cooler of news and conversation here in Central Virginia. We invite you, the viewer and listener, to offer your thoughts and perspective on any of the social channels you're watching upon. I relay that perspective live on air as long as it follows one guideline, the golden rule. We don't mind being challenged, but there's way to challenge folks in a respectful manner, and that's paramount for this program and this network. I want to highlight Judah Wickhauer. Before I forget, he keeps us online and on air. He and I have working alongside each other for 12, 12 years now. Uh, family, Judah Wickhauer. We give thanks to Scott Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine for being a part of the show. Dr. Wagner has your back. I think on that note, Judah, we can go to the studio camera and then the two-shot and welcome Chairwoman Supervisor Donna Price to the program. How are you, Donna? I am great, Jerry, and it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's our pleasure. Truly, truly our pleasure. Um, I met when I said charismatic and confident, followed you from afar. I think you've set a barometer for consistent leadership throughout your term, um, and, and it's been the benefit of Almaro County having um, you at the helm. Why don't we start with an open-ended question. How about the proverbial State of the Union for Albemarle County? Albemarle County is strong. Things are going really, really well right now for the county, Jerry. That's not to say we don't have challenges. I mean, that's the reality of life everywhere, specifically dealing here with local government. But the state of the county is strong. And it's strong because all four components are strong. First off, our community members. I chose to move to this area because I had done research and saw that this was a good place to be. Good people, smart people, they pay attention. We're, we're not a monolith. We don't all agree on everything, but we all are focused on what is best for our people and our future. Secondly, county staff. Uh, 45 years now working with local, state, federal government, I would put Albemarle County staff against the best of any I've ever worked with. Third, county leadership. Jeff Richardson has brought a team and brings in leaders that help keep our public servants focused on public service. And finally, the Board of Supervisors. You know, there are six of us. No one person gets anything done. It takes a minimum of four. Um, but when you put those four together, Jerry, it takes a lot of people to build something. It only takes one to destroy it. And right now, I believe that our community is working together for the betterment of all of us. I love it. Great place to start. Your term has, what, roughly September, October, November, December, four and a half months left? It's hard to believe. I it, mean, it's absolutely flown by, has it not? It, it really has. It really has. And that, despite the first two plus years being during the pandemic. Right? Yeah. It, it's been a ride. You flirted briefly with a delegate run. Um, you have four months in change and a lot of, uh, let's call it decades left of quality living. Um, what's the future for Donna Price now that she's going to have a boatload of new hours opening <laughs> here in four and a half months? I honestly don't know, Jerry. Um, I did, uh, I wanted to run for the House of Delegates, but um, candidly, and I don't want to get too deep into, sure. yeah. you know, who the candidates are, but I was very satisfied with uh, the current Democratic nominee, Amy Lawfer. Um, I felt it was appropriate to allow uh, for an older generation to start to step aside, allow a younger generation to come in and start to take that mantle of leadership, um, but I'm not done yet. Don't know what it's going to be but I'm not done yet. Um, the legal practice um, that you have put so much effort and, and sweat equity into, how's it going with that? What's the workload like? We, you know, being a supervisor, particularly now being the chair for these last two years, there's almost no legal practice left. It's just not possible. My practice was not local. It required me to travel on short notice all around the United States, and you can't do that with the demands of this particular job. Um, but I'm getting close to 70 next year, and um, I'm looking for something very different. Don't know what it will be. Um, you're getting props from a lot of people already. John Blair is watching a pro the program, a fellow Esquire, <laughs> and he says, please, please tell Supervisor Price that many are appreciative of her service. She will Thank be you. missed. 
You got the TV station down the street watching you on the program right now, and a local newspaper um, streaming the show as well. Viewers and listeners offer questions. We'll relay them live on the feed. How does the workload as a supervisor differ um, as a chairwoman um, versus the workload of a supervisor that's, you know, I don't want to say just an average supervisor, but the difference between a chairwoman and then a supervisor? Um, all of our supervisors work really hard. I mean, I, I want to be very clear on that. Everyone does. The role of the chair in Albemarle County, our culture, is that the chair is a facilitator. Uh, I, I have no more voice than any other supervisor, and I really support and appreciate part of our culture, which is the chair speaks last. My job as the chair in our meetings is to facilitate the work of the other supervisors, to ensure that every supervisor has confidence that their voice will be heard and that I am not driving the train so much as I am helping guide us towards that objective. Uh, but in terms of the time demands as the chair, uh, there are a lot of things that happen around the county and the chair, along with potentially the vice chair and obviously the supervisor of that district, will always be involved in. It has been an incredible pleasure, though. Um, I am so honored that the residents of the Scottsville District gave confidence in me to elect me and that my fellow supervisors have allowed me to serve in this role. Questions have come in already. Um, this one is from a regular viewer and listener of the program, Grayson, who is watching in North Downtown. Um, he says, Jerry, thank you for inviting Supervisor Price on the program. I've admired her from afar, although I'm a city resident. Please ask her about term limits and whether she thinks term limits should be held at the local level. Jerry, Grayson says, as you've highlighted on recent shows, Ann Malik likely will win a fifth term um, in the Whitehall District, which would mean that she will be on the supervisor uh, on the dais for 20 straight years. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts on uh, term limits? I have a lot of thoughts, Jerry, okay. and I don't know that we have enough time, but I watched this first when I was working in Congress. Okay. Um, I was a, a Navy officer and was responsible for all medical and personnel issues before the United States Congress. And what I saw was kind of a triangle. Uh, individuals who would be elected to, to public office in the House or the Senate, um, at some point they would leave and they would go to a think tank uh, or they'd go into industry. And so it's sort of a revolving door. Um, that doesn't really solve a lot of the problems. And in fact, I think it causes problems because you get people who may be using their position as an elected official to bed their, feather their bed as they can go out and make money at taxpayers' expense. In general, I do believe in term limits. We have term limits for the president. Um, Others will say, well, the term limit is every time you vote, you get to decide. But there is the power of the incumbency. And I don't want to speak about any individual person, so clearly not going to speak specifically about Supervisor Malik or any other supervisor sure. who served more than one term. What's nice is to have a balance, because there is a corporate memory aspect of having people elected on more than one or even two terms that becomes very helpful for those of us who are coming into the organization and are trying to learn, you know, where the restrooms are. Sure. And, and, and plus, the other thing is, for the supervisors, you know, Jerry, there are seven different types of county government in Virginia. And Albemarle County and Prince William are the only two that have the county executive form of government. So it's, you can't just take an example from another county and apply that to Albemarle County because our form of government is different. Our supervisors, basically, we have one role, vote. We set policy, county executive implements the policy. If we're not happy with the county executive, we can re counsel or replace the county executive. Um, I do think that there is a, a, a detriment if people serve too many terms. And we see it particularly back to the U.S. Senate, Dianne Feinstein right now, uh, you know, her health issues, Mitch McConnell, his health issues. So I do, that's a long way of saying, I think there probably should be term limits. At the local level? Yeah, three, four terms. Um, my experience with VACO, Virginia Association of Counties, has been that in many local counties, the same individuals serve on the board year after year, term after term. And the problem, 
the problem there is you have the same ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think a, a mix of people who have more than one term's experience along with new people coming in with new ideas. I have a hard time today saying what I think that term limit should be. Probably I would say somewhere in the three to four terms. Okay, okay. We're seeing youth um, getting in the mix. Mm -hmm. uh, TJ Fadeley, who sat in that seat a couple weeks ago, in fact, he texted me yesterday. I'm um, looking to come back on the program. TJ, I owe you a return uh, text. Mike Pruitt sat in that seat a few weeks ago as well. Um, Open-ended question for you, and you've alluded to this in Facebook posts. You alluded to this um, at the beginning of the program as well. Youth entering races. Mm -hmm. Put that in perspective, anywhere you want to go. I, I, my advice is don't delay. Um, I spent 25 years in the Navy. Uh, really, I will, that will always be the height of my professional opportunity. And then those who know I'm transgender, the next 10 years was spent you know, figuring out whether I needed to transition, and I did. Move here in 2016. Um, I was asked to run in 2019. I'm now 69 years old, and I'm aging out. Okay. Um, could I do more? Of course I could. But I do believe youth need to have the opportunity. So if you're interested in serving your community, don't wait. Because before you know it, you're going to be like me and thinking, woulda, coulda, shoulda done it earlier and done more. Do you think that? Do you I think you should have done it, gotten into politics earlier? I wish I had. You really? I, if Had I not lost about 10 years post-Navy to moving here, uh -huh. I would have gotten into, into that earlier. Um, and, and it's easy. It, there's always a reason not to do something. Years ago in that peer-reviewed scientific journal, Reader's Digest, I read an article and the theme of it was, when in doubt, do. There's always a reason not to do something. I mean, be smart about it. You know, don't be foolish. But if you've got the desire and you have the interest, get involved now. Either run for office or help support someone running for office. Volunteer. We've got about 70 different committees, commissions, and boards in Albemarle County. We need your help. Go online. Find the one you're interested in. Start small, but don't let too many years pass. Before you know it, you'll, you'll age out. Um, you, you don't strike me as a person that has many regrets in life. I really don't. Can you, can you put any in perspective? Maybe the politics getting in a little bit earlier, potentially? The, the only regrets I have are that I, there are things I still wish I could have done, um, and there just wasn't enough time. Right. There's never enough time, money, you know. Uh, no, I, I have no regrets. I love it. I love it. So questions are coming in fast and furious. Obviously, the transportation question, we knew it was going to come up on the show. We promise we'll throw the bus driver shortage question to Supervisor Price, although I've highlighted on previous shows that this is a school board issue and not a supervisor issue. Still, I will highlight this with the viewers and listeners. Before we do, I think we should talk Rivanna Station. Um, 462 acres, northern Almoro County, yep. $58 million. Yep. You guys make a commitment to the defense sector and say, we know this defense sector is appealing to other cities across the country. There was some scuttlebutt about St. Louis getting in the mix here. Yep. Um, 462 acres, Route 29, northern Almoro County, $58 million, anywhere you want to go. Uh, Jerry, this, this is the greatest economic development decision Albemarle County has had since the University of Virginia was founded in the early 1800s. Get out! Seriously, this is, this is transformative for our region. Uh, but it's not alone. So Albemarle County's Economic Development Office has been working for years and we, uh, the Board of Supervisors years ago recognized two things. One, we needed an economic development office. Two, we needed to protect Ravana Station. Real quick, Ravana Station, 600 million economic input in Albemarle County, half of the 1.2 billion the defense se sector provides here. There are 17 military installations in Virginia. We are the only locality that has protected ours with this assumption to purchase the 462 acres surrounding three sides of it. Now, that's not a done deal yet. We're still in our due diligence. Assuming it all goes through, we're going to purchase it. That 
462 plus the 75 acres is 530 acres. Just across the street on 29, you got North Fork, 500 acres. Up in Greene County, they just set aside 500 acres. Greene County has identified itself as a defense indus- in, you know, installation site. So we're going to have over 1,500 acres in this little part of Virginia set aside for the steam industry, science, technology, engineering, arts, math, sciences, all of those things that are going to be able to allow us to build the type of industry for the future. We're not talking coal mines and steel plants. We're talking high tech. These are jobs you can support a family on. A single person can support a family on it. Tied in with this, just recently, we approved the Hexagon Solar Industrial Installation down in the Scottsville Magisterial District. When it's completed, it will provide enough energy for half of the houses in Albemarle County, which also provides energy security to Ravana Station, North Fork, just like the purchase of the land provides site security. When this is all built out, and we don't have all the plans yet, but we have the potential to lease, even sell some of this land, which will bring the revenue back to the county, which means the taxpayers are not going to be having to pay for this long term. The other thing it does, by building up our business property values, it allows us to reduce the impact on our residential property taxes, which helps every member of our community. This is a consolidated, coordinated economic development, economic stability, energy stability. And people will look back at this, and, and already around the country. I talk to people who have going to meetings all around the country, and everyone's talking. The buzz is what Albemarle County is doing here to protect Ravana Station. It's not, you know, we, we're doing everything we can to keep it going from going to St. Louis or someplace else to build up through the University of Virginia, through um, our local industry, through the defense industry, bring in other universities, bring in other businesses. This is going to be the greatest economic boon to our county since the 1800s. I love it. I have so much to unpack here. I'll highlight some of the viewers and listeners that are watching the program right now. And viewers and listeners, jump in with conversation. Five states watching us right now. Kelly Jackson, hello. Jamie Turner and Culpepper, hello. Carrie Griggs, hello. Kevin Yancey, Waynesboro. Neil Williamson, hello. Neil, jump in with questions. Jen Finazzo, hello. Curtis Shaver, Todd Rath, um, the cider uh, genius watching the program right now, owner of Blue Toad Hard Cider. Um, what came first? Or let me, let me be more refined with my question. The report um, from the chamber um, and retired Colonel... Letty? BN. BN. BN, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, did that report initiate the purchase, or was the purchase already in the mix before the report was presented to you? Okay, to say the purchase puts it to a specific item. Okay. Um, years and years ago, Supervisor Ann Malik was the first supervisor to recognize the risk of Ravana Station because of site security. Okay. Around the same time, Supervisor Diantha McKeel was the supervisor who pushed and was responsible for us having a viable economic development office in the county. County staff, um, with support from the Board of Supervisors, recognized these risks and for years has been working to identify what could we at Albemarle County do to protect this vital aspect of our economy here in Albemarle County. The county helped support the Defense Advisory Council, and that was kind of the impetus that went towards the report. So I would give the county the credit for what we have done to help move towards what ultimately came out of that report. But that report was not the driver. Frankly, that support, that report provided the support for everything that we had already identified and had been working towards. Did the, did the team know, and by team I meant, I mean staff, Mr. Richardson, um, and, and your colleagues on the board, that the economic impact was so robust? I, I don't to know that, that point of robustness? I mean, $1.2 billion is an astronomical number. Jerry, I think that is an undercount of really? the actual economic impact. Why do you think that? Um, because there are, I mean, we know there are direct impacts. Uh-huh. We know there are indirect and we know there are collateral uh-huh. or tangential. 
But I don't think that report itself even fully recognizes the value of this part of the industry for our economy in Albemarle County. I think it gave us something in writing, uh-huh. and what they gave us in writing was higher than what had previously been guesstimated, uh-huh. but I'm still not convinced it fully captures the economic value of the defense industry um, and associated tied here. And we really do have, you know, right now at Ravana Station, you've got INJIC, the National Ground Intelligence Center. You've got DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency. You've got NGIA, the National Geospatial and Intelligence Agency. We have the, we have the ability, we have the opportunity here to build intelligence way beyond even what those three entities are providing. And look what the president did yesterday with the executive order on investments on certain technologies into China, all related to intelligence. Um, Look what's happening with um, AI. So we're going to build even more, but back to your basic question, I don't think the report itself was even sufficient to adequately capture the economic impact. I love it. Questions are coming in fast and furious here. Um, This is a good one from Anonymous, who watches the program on Twitter through DM. He says, typically an economic development strategy relies on going out and finding employers um, and whether that's appropriate for a place that has an unemployment problem. He says, our metro has an unemployment rate of 2.4%, so arguably we are beyond even full employment. He says, we also have, according to many people, a housing shortage. Um, He asked this question, why should we be going out and trying to attract more jobs when we know that there's a housing shortage potentially in this area, especially the metro area? Curious of your thoughts on that. Um, Nothing is static in life. There you go. If you try to stay where you are, you're either cycling, you're going to cycle down. So you're either cycling up or you're cycling down because even if you don't think you're doing anything different, everyone behind you is trying to get ahead of you. This is an industry and this is an opportunity that we have to grab now. And so that doesn't, that doesn't mean we don't pay attention to the housing issue. The other thing is you have to look at what does that employment actually mean in terms of take-home dollars to the employees. I believe that we have too many employees who are still underfunded, under undercompensated. And so what we're looking to do is to bring in the better jobs which allow people to support their families and that is more important than whether or not we're currently at what the you know the the caller says is a 2% unemployment here. Neil we Williamson, I'll get to your question here. Philip Dow, who we've dubbed the King of Scottsville, watches the program all the time. We've nicknamed him. He says, "I totally respect Supervisor Price and all she has done for the area and for Scottsville. So you're getting props there. Roger Voisinet, the realtor, the heavy-hitting realtor, Roger, it was nice to see you yesterday with a fresh haircut, watching from Canada. Um, and he says, fantastic program, fantastic information. Um, Neil, I promise I'll get to the, the, the comp plan expansion. That, in fact, was one of the headlines we're going to cover today. Um, housing, very important to Neil. Uh, more on Rivana Station, though. What do we expect? Um, it seems like this is a rather robust campus that's emerging here um, for the defense sector. What do you see the evolution of this acreage in this campus um, as we get more clarity and momentum behind it? How do you see it expanding? Well, one of the things that's really significant is that Ravana Station is an installation. It's not a base. So they don't have many of the amenities that most people in the Defense um, Department of Defense um, have. You know, commissaries, exchange, gyms, fitness centers, you know, all of those sort of things. Daycare. Um, currently, they've had, uh, or at least recently, some issues with regard to the contract on food service. They don't even have an operating restaurant or cafeteria at the facility. One of the things that we wanted to be able to do is take some of the land, particularly that that is most suitable for this, and put in some sort of recreational facilities, um, which will improve the quality of life of the people who, who work there. Beyond that, though, I I don't know that I'm in a position to be able to address 
um, much more of the specifics. Uh-huh. The other thing, and I, and I do want to circle back a little bit to one of the questions you asked earlier, sort of the which came first, the chicken or the egg part. There were a lot of conversations that were taking place in closed session, which, of course, I cannot address. Sure. But the county had great forethought, incredible foresight to take this action. And we, are do, we have done everything we can to protect this industry here. And I believe we're going to be very successful. James Watson watching the program. Um, he said, I've been working in the defense industry for 15 years, and I've never worked one job in Charlottesville. Supervis- the supervisor is correct about the underestimation of the impact. He also says, we will definitely need a parallel highway road or major upgrade to 29 to accommodate the additional traffic in this portion of Albemarle County. The other th- Jerry, the other sure. thing I would really love to see is if we could get some sort of a spur uh-huh. on the rail line to be able to connect Ravana Station Futures, North Fork, um, with Amtrak. Oh, that's a great idea. Because that then increases the, the benefit that we have in our close proximity to Washington, D.C. Yeah. We're already right around the corner from the airport. But if we can connect rail up there, um, that'd just be another boon. That's a brilliant idea. What's the likelihood of that? Now, I have no idea. <laughs> but I did bring it up with the state senator uh, just earlier this week. About- That's a hell of an idea right there. I love, yeah. the, I love anything tied to trains and the rail system on this program. Um, I promise everyone that is bombarding us here on the school bus issue, this will come up. I am. I, I, I've tried Jerry, to Jerry, let's give just you, cover it you now. You want to go to let's, it? Let's All cover right, it let's now. Go. I got a dozen comments about yeah. this. Let me, let's yeah. cover that now. Okay. I, every, super I've, every supervisor I've spoken with, uh-huh. county staff I'm, I've spoken with, okay. my neighbors, my friends, my family members, we are all equally concerned to the situation regarding school transportation. Okay. Beyond that, I have to say it is under the jurisdiction of the school board. For the three and a half years I've been a supervisor, I have constrained myself to not make public statements about matters within the jurisdiction of another elected body, be the town council of Scottsville, the city council of Charlottesville, the school board. Um, It's not within our jurisdiction, and that is something that is under the jurisdiction of the school board. I have forwarded every communication that I have received from a member of our community to the chair of the school board, the supervisor for the Scott, or the representative on the school board from the Scottsville Magisterial District, uh-huh. and the superintendent of Albemarle County Public Schools. I share your concern, but it's not within my jurisdiction to be able to resolve. I, I respect that. I'll follow up with one question on that. You guys allocate the money to the school board and the school school board then takes this lump sum and allocates it and the Correct. way they see um, best. I believe it's roughly 60% of Almore County's yearly budget is schools. I believe that number is in the neighborhood of $257 million. It's a, it's, it's a great chunk. Yeah, it it's is. A, it's a big chunk. Here's the question that I have for you, and I'm not even sure if this is allowed or permitted or if it's been discussed. Was there any consideration given with the supervisors to potentially holding the money in escrow in some way, not allocating it to the school board, and saying you need to solve the transportation issues before you get the money, or is that something that's not even realistic or considered? I, I am not aware of any consideration on that. We okay. do not have any sort of a line item veto. Uh-huh. We cannot direct the school board into where they decide to put the money. Understood. It falls by state law okay. under the jurisdiction of the school board. There we go. There we go. So we cover this topic She's often, uh, she's, she's straightforward with us, guys. It is a school board issue. So if you want to voice some of your concerns, we encourage you to do this at the school board meeting, which I believe is tonight, <laughs> interestingly. I have a feeling that meeting is going to be pretty, uh, pretty hot here. Um, Neil, we'll get to your comment here. Um, we're going to talk expanding the 5% developmental area. Here's his comment verbatim, Neil Williamson the president of the Free Enterprise Forum, he says, please ask Supervisor Price uh, of her thoughts on the development area expansion. She says, or he says, their own commission report indicates approvals at current levels, leaves uh, 1,000 to 3,000 residential units short by 2044. Okay. Well, as you know, 
We are working on our comprehensive plan update, AC44. Um, this is the opportunity for our community to get involved. Um, not said in Neil's question, but also understood is that uh, up to this point, development within the development area has been far below 100% capacity. Now, having said that, I don't believe I would likely ever want to build to 100% capacity because that would adversely impact quality of life. So we should explain <coughs> that in, in, in very simplistic terms. Uh, Supervisor McKeel said the same thing on this show. The 5% developmental area, this is, mm -hmm. I'm unpacking this, the 5% area allocated to commercial and residential development currently is not at max capacity with said development. That's correct. S Supervisor McKeel said we need to consider that 5% maximizing it and using it in the most efficient form possible before we even consider expanding the 5% to create more housing. I basically agree with what she said. Okay. Um, I am not prepared today to propose or support expanding the 5% of total Albemarle County land mass until we've gone through this comprehensive plan review, see where we are, while recognizing that how do you decrease costs, increase supply. Uh -huh. you know? So clearly it's expansion is one way that could do that. But it's not just so simple as to say, okay, we're going to increase the development area beyond the 5% of land mass currently approved, because along with expansion of development area comes the obligation to provide the infrastructure that is necessary and required within a development area. <clears throat> Other things that we have to look at, if we, and let me step back for a minute. No matter how efficient we are in developing our development area, if, when we set aside a, a, a particular amount of land for a development area, no matter how efficient we are in developing that, there will come a time, so long as our population continues to increase, that we will fill that up. Uh -huh. So it, it's not necessarily this easy answer to say, let's just expand the development area. You've got to think, where are you going to expand it? Right. So there you've got to look at things like geography and demographics and, and all of these other things that tell you areas that are more subject to development versus those that are not. Because back to the development area that is being developed, not every square foot of a, a lot is actually developable. Right. You've got right. water protection, steep slopes, all sorts of other things that can impact it. So I believe that a time will come, as long as Albemarle County's population continues to grow, that we will be required to expand the development area. I'm not prepared today to say we've reached that point. I respect that. Um, how do you balance this as an elected official? The political capital, and by political capital I mean what voters want, seems to be a large portion of residents and taxpayers in the county is don't expand it. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, you and I talk to a lot of people. That's the mood of most of Alma. Um, how do you balance what current residents want, which is not expanding in large part, versus what may be best for Albemarle long term, which is creating maybe some additional housing so folks who want to live or move to Albemarle can actually have a place to live in Albemarle County. How do you do that dance? That's what we get, that's what we get paid to do. I mean, when voters elect representatives, you should be voting for someone that you believe you can trust their judgment. Okay. Um, you know, most of what we do are what I call better best decisions. Uh -huh. Some are right-wrong decisions. Okay. Um, the, the best example of that, I think, to me, it was a right-wrong decision to remove the statue at the courthouse. Okay. I, I don't believe implements of war should be, uh, or memorials of war should be in front of a courthouse. Those are our hollowed halls of justice. And to me, it wouldn't matter if it was a Union statue, a Confederate statue, or some other one. They tend to be put up at courthouses because that's where the city or the county owns property. But I just don't think they should be there. Right, wrong decision, remove it. I think that was the right decision. Where we disposed of it, how we disposed of it, was a better best decision. And there were different entities that wanted those implements. Um, and the board ultimately made a decision. 
when it comes to most of the development issues, those are mostly better best decisions. If we listened solely to the people around a proposed development, there would be no development. Right. NIMBY is everywhere. Right. You know, the hexagon solar, it's not in my backyard, it's in my front yard. Right. You know, I, I made the decision to support it because I thought it was in the best interest of our county and our community. And by front yard, she means her personal front yard. Literally. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I live less than a mile away from that, uh, from that installation. It's to the south and to the west of my house. Um, and that's what we get paid to do. And so when you look at who you want to represent you, I would ask that you pay attention to whether you can trust their judgment more than a particular case. I, I used to work with uh, Senator John McCain in the Senate, and he was kind of an ornery SOB, but he was a kind of a fair SOB, and he was hard on everybody. And Senator McCain and I didn't always agree. Of course, he was a senator. I was not. Uh, but I respected the man. Um, same thing with Senator, you know, John Warner. Uh, these, are, these are people I worked with when I was in Congress. So, you know, look for someone whose judgment you can trust. Um, and then that's our job. Our job is to not only look at what this decision does for this particular issue, but how does it affect that trickle trickle up effect or ripple effect? How does it affect other things? Because, for example, what happens in the town of Scottsville ha applies not just to the residents that live within that small town limit, but the people in the Scottsville Magisterial District or even Fluvanna or Buckingham or Samuel Miller. And that affects Albemarle County. And what happens in Albemarle County affects our surrounding counties as well. So that's where we have to do that balance, and um, and that's where we look at the totality of these these plans that we've got to best move the county forward, and and to provide provide the housing where we have the amenities, um, and it's a trade-off. I live a mile in the woods. I don't have the amenities that you've got if you live in a in a a different type of a neighborhood. Um, questions are coming in fast okay. and furious here. This is a follow from John um, Blair on LinkedIn. Um, he says, I, I understand that the bus issue is a school board matter. He follows by saying, I'm curious if Supervisor Price believes that the school board's failure to prioritize rural residents and bus service is a mistake. He follows by saying that Scottsville District is the most rural district in the county. Often rural residents of the county feel ignored. These children have the longest travel distance to school now, Marl. If the development area is going to be kept at 5%, should the county and the school board do more to assist rural residents with services so that they don't feel ignored? What else can be done to better incorporate rural residents into Albemarle County? John lives in the Samuel Miller district. Um, he has said this in previous shows, so I'm not, um, you know, uh, letting folks know where his location is. He lives in the Redfields neighborhood. And even that neighborhood, which is very close to schools, has a school bus driver or school route shortage issue. So a lot to unpack there from John's question. What are your thoughts on what he has to say? First off, I'm not going to talk about school board issues. Okay. I will talk about Board of Supervisors. Uh -huh. um, when I got elected and when I was running, the, the constant theme was that Scottsville and Southern Albemarle have been ignored by the county. And I have been able to provide actual documentation from county reports that show that the Scottsville Magisterial District has received at least its fair share of resources from the county. Now, some of what, you know, Mr. Blair talks about are real. Uh, the distances for people who live in the rural areas to get to schools are going to be longer than the people who live in the more densely populated areas. And so are there things that the Board of Supervisors can do to help improve that? I, I think if there are, and, and I'm, I'm sure that there are things that we can do, then we will continue to work on that. The Southern Convenience Center that just opened a, a month or so ago is a great benefit to Southern Albemarle County. Um, and it is basically roughly halfway between Charlottesville and Scottsville and all the way over to um, Woodridge and out west. Um, I'm not as familiar with the Samuel Miller District, um, now we're within 10 minutes of being able to take our recyclables and our household trash. So we are doing things to help 
the more rural areas. We've got another one that's going to be built on the northern side of town. And, of course, we have the convenience center over at Ivy. So the county does recognize some of the challenges that people in the more rural areas face. But, again, Jerry, I'm not getting into the school board. And I respect that. I 100% respect that. Um, The Charlottesville Area Association of Realtors put its Q2 uh, Q2 report out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to talk Al Morrow. Here's um, year over year. So second quarter last year versus second quarter this year. Al Morrow County last year, median price for for inventory, $479,000. Median price for inventory this past quarter, second quarter, $530,000 an appreciation year over year of 11%. Now the median value in Albemarle County is 530, the highest of any jurisdiction. All the other counties, Louisa was up 7%, all the other counties were flat. Charlottesville 1%, Fluvanna County 3%, Greene County down one point, Nelson County down a whopping 25%. Supervisor Rutherford watching the program now, I would imagine that's gonna come up in Nelson County supervisor meetings. 530 for a median value in Almoral. Anywhere you want to go on that one. Unbelievable. My first house was $44,000. <clears> it's unbelievable. But that's the market. That's the market. You know, the Board of Supervisors is not setting those, those rates. Uh, we are a high-demand area. People want to be here. And, it's, and you know, people will, will pay what they can afford to get there. But it also ties back into Ravana Station Futures. The more we can build up our commercial, business, industrial tax base, the more that we can shift some of the, that revenue from residential property owners to the business world. So I'll, I'll unpack that, and, and she's 100% right. Um, taxes on homes make up a large portion of how Almar County is funding its yearly budget. If we can prioritize strategic economic development, then that will alleviate the burden on homeowners and potentially recoup or add incremental revenue to the budget from businesses. Exactly. That's what she's highlighting there. Bashir says, thank you, Donna. And he says, you're crushing this interview right now. I knew she was going to crush this interview. (laughs) She's great in these settings right here. And it really gives a host um, like me um, it makes my job super easy to have someone like Donna sitting across from us. All right, so why don't we talk a little bit more housing in Almoral County. Uh, Neil did a white paper on the Free Enterprise Forum mm-hmm. on the, the potential of converting commercial to residential, and he highlights the many vacant shopping centers mm-hmm. out there. Um, first, let's start with that. What do you make of that idea? Um, I've been blessed to traveled over 50 countries, live overseas three times, travel all over the United States, live all over the United States. And the one thing I have come, well, not the one thing, one of the things I have come to appreciate is if you want a vibrant urban city environment, you have to have a reasonable mix between business, commercial, and residential. Atlanta, Georgia, where I grew up in the 1980s at 5 o'clock, you may as well roll the sidewalks and the streets up. Nobody lived downtown. So once the, the businesses closed at 5 o'clock, it was a ghost town. And that means it's also not safe because you need people to have security. You go to any major European city, and what you're going to see are shops and businesses on the first, maybe the first two floors, and residential on maybe the second floor, but clearly roughly the third floor up, unless you're talking one of these major department stores uh, such as may still exist. So I firmly believe that what we need to do is have zoning, and I'm very supportive of pursuing this, that allows for on multi-story buildings in these environments to try and keep that focus on the ground floor on business commercial, on the third floor and up on residential, and on the second floor to have that flexibility of in times where the demand is higher for residential, you can convert it to residential. In times where the commercial business is higher, you can convert it to to business. And what I would really like to see us look at is a proposal that for new construction, some sort of bonuses are given, incentives are given for contractors to build where the second floor already has incorporated into the bones of the building that easy flexibility. 
so that you know you you you've got an idea, you've got a design, but from planning to completion is often several many years, and things may change. So if we can incentivize builders to make that second floor adjustable from residential or commercial without great expense, then I think what we're doing is we're helping to prepare for that future where we don't know exactly what this year or this decade may be. For already existing structures, I would hope we would come up with some other way to help incentivize them. But I do believe, you know, if you go down the street right here behind me, uh-huh. you want to see businesses on the ground floor. And the, and the ground floor in this kind of environment is not really suitable for residential. Sure. So, Noisy, there's traffic. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% uh, agree with you. That. Yeah. The safety aspect. Right. So, you know, I'm very supportive of that. What I, would I, be some of those incentives for the new construction? You know, I'd need to really talk to people like, you know, Dr. Stacy Pethia of our housing office uh-huh. and, you know, Jody Flardo of community development. Uh-huh. They've got the expertise. I've got an idea. It's kind of like, Jerry, I go to you and I say, I want to build a house. I want a great room. I want two bedrooms. I'm going to ask you to design it because you're the architect uh-huh, um, uh-huh. and help me figure it out. So, you know, we've got ideas here. And people like Neil Williamson and the Free Enterprise Forum and builders and realtors and, you know, let's get the right people and talk about this. We have a lot of um, challenges that are as a result of the, the legacy zoning, which largely came as a result of forced detached single-family suburban development, which has a racial component behind it. Uh, People don't want to maybe acknowledge that, but it's real. We know it's real. And so we have to, we've got to learn from the past, like, you know, term limits, but we've got to take those experiences and help use them to help us move to a better future. What's the role of the University of Virginia here when it comes? We've been talking taxes. We've been talking uh, taking the burden off rooftop taxes and homeowners through economic development. Michael Payne, city councilor of Charlottesville, mm-hmm. has been very, very, very vocal of a payment in lieu of taxes program, a pilot program, basically asking the University of Virginia, its nonprofit arm, to pony up, if you may, a large sum of money that... Albemarle County and the city of Charlottesville can utilize for its yearly budget. And his reasoning is the University of Virginia, the nonprofit arm, has such a large real estate holding Mm -hmm. that it's buying real estate, taking it off the tax rolls, which then further burdens homeowners, which further drives gentrification, which could yield an even more homogenous community in Charlottesville and Albemarle County. Why don't we start open-ended with the pilot program in UVA? Yeah, you know, and I'm going to have to be just very candid. I don't know enough about it to speak much on it. Uh But what I can do is take what um, Habitat, Uh Albemarle County, Uh and a number of other entities have done at Southwood. Okay. Which is, is, it's kind of gentrifying without gentrifying. You know, you had about 350 families living in dilapidated trailers, Uh and now with Southwood, without displacement, every single one of those families has the opportunity to, excuse me, stay and move into a new unit. It may be rental, it may be purchase, it may be detached single family, it may be a duplex. So I think that's a model that Albemarle County has been able to do, and and, and I just am not knowledgeable enough to be able to make statements on the other, but I do believe the university has an obligation and a role to play to increase the housing just as Albemarle County and the city of Charlottesville do. I love that answer. Um, do you think Southwood has been a success? Oh, yes. Yeah. I think Southwood is a great success. It's, yeah. it, it is much like the, the solar installation, which I think the, the plans for that will make it one of the best in the country, just like Ravana Station Futures. Um, I believe what these groups have done, and, and I do give Sa- uh, Habitat the, the largest share of the credit for this, it is a model that the nation can, can use going forward. But all of us have an obligation, and frankly, I'd like to see some of our wealthy residents, you know, put a little more money into helping support the increase in housing affordability and affordable housing. They're two different things. Sure. They sound similar. Yeah. Um, because we've got a, a lot of wealth in this community, and it's not to say there are not people who are already doing that, but I'd like to see a little bit more of that money come in. We, we actually were talking about affordable housing and how in 2019 and early 2020, before the pandemic and at the start of the pandemic, 
the brand or the moniker was affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic drove so much value momentum behind housing, that moniker is now transitioned to housing affordability mm -hmm. and away from affordable housing. And now the housing affordability moniker is even transitioning again to workforce housing. Right. And that's all, it's all understandable. But, you know, you think about over the last number of years, uh -huh. the disparity of wealth in our country has continued to accelerate. And those at the top have made even more money off of things like stock market. Not right. really working. They're just moving money around. Um, I'd, I'd really like to see more of that money come into the community. Um, we've got a number of really good benefactors here, very generous people who have contributed in a number of ways. That's not to say they couldn't do more. I like it. I like it. This is from uh, Mr. Dow. He says, concerning Scottsville and Southern Almoro, will the rescue squad unit be restored so we don't have to depend on other nearby rescue squad units that are 20 to 30 minutes away? Um, and he says the Scottsville Rescue Squad Station is a nice building, um, but it's getting a bit old. Your thoughts on that topic? Well, Scottsville, like so many other areas, stations in the county, um, we are experiencing, not just here in Albemarle County, but nationwide, a decline in volunteerism. And, and Jerry, our, our, your listeners need to understand the demands and the responsibilities that volunteer EMT and firefighters take when they, you know, when they volunteer and put those uniforms on, the hours of training, the certifications, the demands placed upon them in a world that is always pulling at them from all these different directions. We could not get our mission accomplished in fire and rescue, EMT, but for the volunteers. But we're running short on volunteers. And uh, increasingly, we will be faced with the pressures of having more paid staff because the demands upon the volunteers are so significant. And it's not just the hours they have to spend in the station. It's the certification requirements, which are appropriate. I mean, if you're going to have somebody driving a fire truck, you've got to make sure they've got all the right certifications. 100%. And so, you know, in that respect, Scottsville is not any different than any other of the areas in the county where we are constantly working. Now, having said that, um, Chief Eggleston, his assistant chiefs, and then all of the chiefs of the different fire stations have done an incredible job with volunteers. The county has been very successful in what are called SAFER, S-A-F-E-R grants, which provide for initial funding to hire additional fire and EMT personnel. And just like what we've been able to do with the uh, police department, we've been able to reduce the gap between the number of personnel and the number we need, but if it's only going, those pressures are only going to continue. Um, this question, multiple um, people are asking about this, including some of the home builders watching the programs now, one of the uh, developers, large one in the area. Um, do we, have we gotten up to full speed with hiring for permitting approval and um, getting paperwork um, cleared and moved in efficient fashion when it comes to new construction. There's some, been some really great improvements that have taken place with some of the new software that's been installed. Uh, and you know, you talk about choices have consequences. Back in, I think it was 2010, the then Board of Supervisors reduced the real estate tax rate by six cents. As a result of that, the county ended up facing, uh, lost 10% of its personnel. No technology improvements were made for, for years. And it's only in the last few years that the county has been able to start to purchase and replace all the antiquated systems and software. I mean, you know, bailing wire and, you know, chewing gum is what was holding a lot of this technology together. And I can't remember the exact details, but Mr. Richardson at one of his monthly reports recently just shared the dramatic increase in processing those permits and applications, resulting in a substantial decrease. And, and, and I wish I could remember enough to even, you know, guesstimate what it was, but I mean, like a 70% reduction in the processing times for that. We're not where we want to be yet. We're still working on it, and we're still dealing with a lot of personnel issues. Right now, it is a huge challenge for local government to hire people because a lot of our employees get hired away by a private industry where they can pay them more money. Um, of course, you know, there are different challenges there as well. So we're working on it. 
Um, I think great progress has been made, but we have not yet achieved the level that we want to reach. Uh, Travis Hackworth watching in Danville, Virginia. He says, as an outsider, an area like Charlottesville is in high demand, and it's an area, Almoral County included, that runs the risk of displacing locally uh, born and raised residents if workforce and affordable housing is not addressed in a substantial way at the same time of bringing in companies not tethered to the university, the government, or industrial complex. Your typical workforce in the middle class is not the professor or biotech engineer. And he's 100% right. I'll, I'll throw this to you. How You've prioritized economic development as well as any elected um, official that I've seen here. How, how do we prioritize economic development in Almoral County in a way that encourages hiring within Almoral County? Actually, that's our project Enable. Okay. Um, and this came out of the Economic Development Office. Right now, we're working on um, Mark II, you know, Mod 1, Mark II, second iteration of it. And it really focuses on building local businesses um, and also the types of businesses where we create a product or idea here that is then sent out in the country so the money comes back here. So let's, let's change that dynamic a little bit. Um, years ago, and the, st the actual statistics are not important, but basically years ago I heard if you spend a dollar with a local business, 80% of the money stays in the local community. If you spend a dollar with a national business, 80% of the money leaves the community. So take any of our big, you know, chains that are here. You go and buy products for them, from them. You're buying something that was trucked in from another location, and your money leaves. Now, yeah, they've got employees. Don't get me wrong. It's just like a franchise. You know, they're, they're local employees. But that money's not, not staying here. You, you know, you go to a fast food chain. They're, they're not generally buying their produce and their, and their meat locally. It's coming in on a truck from somewhere else. Well, it's the same thing with other types of industries. So if you look at the successes that our economic development office has had through Project Enable, it's local companies. Um, and so we have had, I think the governor's been here six times in the last two years um, on economic development achievements that we have had here in Albemarle County with companies that originated and have expanded here in Albemarle County. So that is our focus. But we also know that we need to have the $600 million at Ravana Station and the $1.2 billion that comes from the defense industry, but that's also tied in with educational institutions. And, you know, yeah, locally we'd love to see UVA uh, be a part of that, but we're also not going to say no to another university, maybe Virginia Tech or maybe VCU or maybe George Mason, other Virginia you know universities that may want to participate here as well. So it, it's got to be a blend. You, you know, my mother told me, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, you mentioned economic development. Um, Roger Johnson mm -hmm. was a key um, aspect of that department. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Johnson is now uh, no longer employed with Almore County. He's pursued other professional yeah, he's aspirations. He's got his own consulting firm, I he's, understand. He's exactly. The, uh, yeah. the Partnership Collective okay. um, is what it's called. He's the principal, the owner of that consultancy. Can you give uh, some insight or highlight economic development in the post-Roger Johnson era? Mm, I, I, I don't know that from the county standpoint, uh -huh. there's a big difference. Okay. Um, you know, we continue with our project Enable. Uh -huh. um, I will say that Ravana Station Futures is our primary economic focus right now. Understood. It's also going to be our primary legislative focus as we work on our legislative agenda for this new General Assembly, which is going to be night and day different from what we've got right now because of redistricting, retirements, and things like that. Um, so, you know, we still have other areas we're working on, but helping to ensure that we have success here is really probably our, our principal focus until something else pops up that we see that we need to focus on that as well. And I wish Roger the best of luck. He did a great job for Albemarle while he was with us. Same, same. Uh, I, I echo those thoughts. What's the uh, interaction or how do supervisors at Albemarle County 
interact, communicate um, with counselors in, in Charlottesville. Is that a very tangible and palpable level of communication, or is it done um, when the communication is necessary? Um, you know, one of the great things, uh, pure coincidence, um, Mayor Snook and I used to attend the same church here, uh, St. Paul's Memorial Episcopal Church, got to be acquaintances and friends there. Okay. And then lo and behold, he ran for the city council the same year I ran for the Board of Supervisors, and he was elected to be mayor and I was elected to be chair. And, um, it's a heck of a church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the cool thing is, uh, immediately after we each assumed our current positions, we started a, a, a very regular public luncheon. Okay. Um, almost always right here on the downtown mall or nearby in Albemarle County. Because we wanted, you know, as a lawyer, I was fond of saying justice must not only be done, it must be seen as being done. Okay. And we, from the city and the county, wanted our united community to see the city and the county working together. And so Lloyd and I, Mayor Snook and I, have a very good relationship. It allows us to speak openly and candidly about things, and it also allows us to stay in touch on things that are of mutual interest. In fact, right now, I'm waiting to hear back from a couple of people in the county and as well as uh, the mayor with the city to try and schedule a joint city council Board of Supervisors meeting um, later this fall. So I'm hoping we're going to be able to pull that together. That's awesome. What is, as we wind down the interview, and you're a refreshing interview, Donna, what is a day in the life of Donna Price like? So, and, and not the elected official Donna Price, mm -hmm. just Donna Price, the, the average person here, when you're walking around Almoral County, when you're walking around the downtown mall, how often do you get stopped? The, 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 I mean, I can only imagine. I've seen it with Mayor Snook. I experienced this some myself. The stop and chats can be long and yep. frequent and consistent. And my wife is uh, an amazing, she's the heartbeat of our family. Oftentimes she said, if we walk on the downtown mall for like a happy hour or to dinner, you're going to get stopped by a couple, you know, half a dozen people here. What's it like with Donna Price's life? You know, Jerry, as you might figure, I'm a little bit of an extrovert. Okay. Um, I get my energy from people. I sense that. And I actually love it. It's you the, love it? It's the best part of the job. I okay. was at uh, Wegmans uh, yesterday, and uh, as I'm checking, doing the self-checkout, um, the lady stops and says, do you represent Mill Creek? And I said, yes, I do. And I said, I've got one more thing. Let me ring it up. And then we went over to the side, and we chatted for a little bit. And while we were chatting, another person came by, and then he and I chatted. Um, it's the best part of it because it's unscripted. It's where people tell you really what they think. Uh -huh. and, um, and I'm going to miss that interaction, that connection with the community. Um, you know, it's, it's great. But a day in the life of Donna Price is waking up, and um, by the time I've had breakfast, walked the mile and back, a uh, two-mile round trip to, to the street to get like, my little morning exercise, the day I thought I had scheduled is not at all the day I've got coming up ahead of me. Um, and you just got to roll with the punches, roll with the flow. How close were you to running again, Board of Supervisors? Um, no. Not I, close? I, no. It, okay. it really, um, it has been a great honor. Okay to serve as a supervisor. Um, but I actually knew shortly after being elected that um, it, it was not my intention to run um, Why was that? for the board again. Most of my career has been spent in national defense. Okay. 25 years in the Navy. Now, actually this year, 20 years in national security. Um, and um, my heart is in national security and social justice civil rights okay and because of the dillon rule and the nature of local government um we are more constrained on a board of supervisors on what we do you have limitations we yeah yeah uh, and and land use is huge um for the public the major thing they see is land use right Social services is huge, but the public doesn't see that. They shouldn't see that because that's personal information, people's lives, and what's happening in an intimate type of city. Um, but but my, my heart is really more in, uh, well, it's public service, but it's more towards kind of a dichotomy, national security, social justice, civil rights. 
You mentioned my rantings or writings. Oh, I'm, I can't wait. I, I wanna, why don't I highlight that now? I, mm-hmm. I encourage any viewer and listener of this program, either current or, or going to watch at your leisure here in the future, to follow Supervisor Price on Facebook. I find her commentary, I, I sincerely mean this, thought-provoking. I, I read the content, which is long-form content, from start to finish. This is not like, folks, a tweet here with 200 and some characters. She's writing like 1,000-word columns or firsthand perspective pieces. A lot of it is almost stream of conscious from you, um, you know, on Facebook. I love it. Well, thanks, Jerry. Yeah. I, you know, I spent 25 years in the Navy. We're really, I mean, honor, courage, and commit- commitment were our core values. But the, the basic theme was um, responsibility commensurate with one's authority. And I believe that public figures have an accountability and a responsibility to lead by example, to set the example that others should follow. So if anyone reads my rantings, they may think it's, you know, liberal, Democrat, woke, non-woke, you know, Democrat, Republican, whatever. It's not really that at all. It's accountability. It's I expect public, public figures to follow the law, to set the example. And the higher the position, the higher those expectations are. And um, so what I do a lot of writing on is, is that belief that, you know, that we need to set the example. Um, you, you were going to mention one in particular. Can I read it? Sure. Yeah, this is from, this is <clears throat> one that very much resonated for me. She posted this four days ago. She says, I'm a trans woman in America, proud of and not ashamed to be a member of the LGBTQ plus community, but not desirous of living only in that world. I want to live in a country and in a community that looks like the world, the world in which I have been so fortunate to live and travel. I want to live in a diverse, equitable, and inclusive world filled with people of all races, ethnicities, faith beliefs, sexual orientations, and gender identities, physical capabilities, and with everyone being treated with the same dignity, opportunity, and realistic hope that with hard work and good fortune that they can achieve their goals for themselves and their families. That paragraph resonated with me. Well, thanks, Jerry. You know, I'm, I, uh, I've got a lot of problems or issues with organized religion because uh-huh. of the people who are in them, and particularly when I see religious beliefs being twisted to, for hateful purposes. But um, in the baptismal covenant of the Episcopal Church, among other things, every time someone gets baptized, the congregation repeats the covenant. And to me, the most moving words are to treat each person with dignity and respect. And that's the world I want to live in. And so I don't know what my future will be as I leave the Board of Supervisors. It's been one of the greatest honors and privileges of my life. Um, But it will be to help try move us more and more back to that golden rule of just treating others as we would like to be treated. It's a perfect way to end. You Thanks, are Jerry. an interviewer's dream right here. Um, Donna Price, Chairwoman, Almore County Board of Supervisors, 70 minutes straight without a commercial break. It felt like seven minutes here. Truly refreshing, this interview. You can find it anywhere you get your social media or your podcast. Thank you, Supervisor Price. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thanks, Judah. Thank you, Judah. I was just going to say that. She beat me to it. Thank you, <laughs> Judah Wickhauer. This is the I Love Seville Show. Um, we are back tomorrow at 1230 with the I Love Seville Show. And interestingly, Neil Williamson on Real Talk at 1015 a.m. tomorrow morning. Thank you kindly for joining us. All we're trying to do is be the water cooler of conversation in Central Virginia. We'll see you guys tomorrow at 1015 a.m. for Real Talk. Take care. Thanks. That was awesome. That was fun. Yeah, it was so fun. He's going to let us know when the uh, mics and cameras are off, and then I would love to get a photo with